And I think about pizza. I think about pizza all the time. All the time. Yeah, so a song is like a delicious <laughs> pizza. Hello, boys and girls. This is Ray Prim, a.k.a. Shamrock Defibrillator, and this is Singer-Songwriter with Tommy. What's up, everybody? It is Sunday, July the 7th, 2019, on a very special Women's World Cup Championship Day. And speaking of badass women, I've got two supreme badasses here in the studio. This is singer-songwriter with Tom Meany. How's it going, everyone? My guest today is the very talented Grace Pettis. How you doing today, Grace? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. And uh, we also have returning Natalie Price as the guest co-host for the day. How you doing, hey. Natalie? Sup? <laughs> so, Grace, did you do anything fun yesterday? Uh, I wrote a song with a badass songwriter named Tom Meany. <laughs> Yeah, And then I went to an Indian place and ate lots of food and drank like relatively drinkable champagne <laughs> with Natalie Price and Tom Meany. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun day. Um, I, I am so stoked still because for those of you who are close to me, you know that I've been in somewhat of a writer's block and it's been it has been kind of a dark shadow over my shoulder and uh although i've written songs over the last year i had, haven't written any what we call keepers i always do the the hand quote the air, air quotes, quotes when i say keeper mm-hmm. and for those of you who are not familiar with that term it's a song that you write that you like a whole lot and play out at shows you'll you'll write maybe 10 or 12 songs that are terrible and you'll get one keeper and keepers are what consist of uh in in the set list mainly i guess um so i was really excited that we did that and that it has a a theme um we're calling it parade which is kind of cool because today as i was watching the women's world cup championship game they mentioned that in new york on wednesday there's a huge parade Oh, that's so cool. And, USA. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I'm just really happy to have you here today to talk about some things that I am fascinated with. Well, I'm happy to be here today to talk about these things that you're fascinated with. Yes. So the song that I played there at the intro is called You Are the Cowboy. Uh-huh. And it is from your album Two Birds. Two Birds. Mm-hmm. So if you want to find that song and hear the rest of it, I will put a link in the description here. Um, and you can listen to it on all the uh, streaming. That was not me. Was it me? I think it was you, but I'm that putting mine it? on airplane right now. <laughs> you want to see what that says? <laughs> Is it a text from Natalie? Went away. Oh. <laughs> it was not a text from me. Uh, definitely <laughs> That'd not. That'd be hilarious. Anyway, like, hey, John, right what now, you doing? Well, 
Uh, someone on Bumble wants to meet me. Whoa. Just thought you guys dun, should dun, all know dun. that. That's exciting. You're uh, the We're host of this podcast is. Week. Is she hot? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't click on it. Okay. You never know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, you know what? We, as in my friend Natalie and I, went to Rawhide Trails house concerts last Sunday. Yeah. And we were treated to a really great performance. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, I'm a big house concert guy. Grace performed. Yes. Grace performed. (laughs) It was her show. She's actually playing again next week with her trio. And we'll talk more about that later. But so let's talk about something that you said. Okay. And I got it. I can't remember anything that I said. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to remind you. You said something about the like Walmart secret hostage exchange. Oh, 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 which oh, I know oh. what no, that means. I can't means. remember that. Yeah, yeah. I said the, the minivan hostage minivan exchange. Minivan hostage exchange. Yeah, yeah. Which, and I'm guessing, because uh-huh. I've seen it go down. Yeah. This is the exchange of mom gets yep. kid or kids mm-hmm. for these days, dad gets kids for these days, yep. and then at some point in the middle mm-hmm. of the week, they meet at Walgreens parking lot or, or wherever. wherever. Yep. And there's the Folded hostage arms, exchange. Sliding doors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Buckled in. <laughs> so let's talk about that because I thought it was interesting. You mentioned that, you know, part of your upbringing is in Atlanta, a huge city. Yeah. And then part of your upbringing is in a small country area. Mm-hmm. So what is that like? What does that do to you as a kid? I mean, yeah. How does it affect you? Well, like specifically a small town in Alabama, which is, you know, its own thing. Like there's the deep south mm-hmm. and there are small towns and then there are small towns in Alabama. Right. And it's like this special, like extreme subsection of, of those categories. And, um, you know, I loved growing up there. I thought it was beautiful. Um, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I lived on a mountain, mm-hmm. um, about 2,000 feet in a log cabin. And my grandparents were from the town in the valley. Like, I had history there and a small group of people that I got to know pretty well and felt known by. And that was cool. And also not known by. Um, and and then Atlanta is like this huge, diverse, you know, interesting, thriving city. Um and I grew up there more than I grew up in Alabama because um, I spent like a lot of my early years mainly living there with my mom and then just visiting Alabama in the summers. Okay, the so weekends. dad was in Alabama. Dad was in Alabama. And that was like kind of weekend place, mm-hmm. you know, place where I'd visit grandparents, place where I'd go in the summers and the weekends. And um, and then I grew up in Avondale and then Decatur, um, right. which are suburbs in Atlanta. And they're not quite or at least at the time, I mean, it's, it's a changing city, but like at the time they weren't like the McMansion kind of suburbs. They were sort of like somewhere in between the city and the McMansions were like, you know, some of these little suburbs, but my mom uh, is an educator. She taught at Georgia state for many years. And so school systems were very important to her. So my childhood was just like this series of us trying to get into better schools. Right. Um, But I, I was in public school and she believed in public school as much as she believed in good schools she believed in public school because, um, well, she worked at a public school for one thing, but um, I think she just like wanted us to live in a real world where 
it wasn't just all white kids with money and uniforms. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it was like a, an honest cross section of the country and of Atlanta. And, um, so I grew up in schools where, you know, like, I think like, you know, my, my earliest like elementary school memories, I'm like the only white kid in my class for years. And then I went to Winona Park for a year and there was like, it was more kind of 50, 50. Um, and then like Renfro was sort of like more of maybe 50, 50, but, um, I just think that that was like such a great experience for me to grow up around lots of different kinds of people from all kinds of economic backgrounds right? and just cultural backgrounds. And, um, I feel very, I feel privileged by that. Like, I feel like that was its own kind of privilege because I grew up knowing something about the world that I wouldn't have. It sounds similar to being a military kid. I, I grew up on a military base in the Philippines where it's everybody. Yeah. Um, and all those people came from different towns in the U S and then come to the Philippines and we're all together. So it sounds very similar to that. Yeah, no, it was, it was great, you know? And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm like, cause I could have just been in private school or whatever. Right. And that would have been, that would have been safe. And then I would have gone into the world and just been kind of at a loss, but for my job, which is driving around the country, just meeting as many different kinds of people as possible, it's just been great to have both this sort of small town, homogenous kind of, you know, childhood, and then also big city, urban, like multicultural childhood, right. and get to kind of know a little bit about what it, what it's like to live in both of those worlds. I think that was really good for me. So as having a mom as an educator, did that mean automatically that you were a good student? Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah there were, she was, um, well, I mean, I say that, but then like my brother George, like almost failed high school. So, right. but, um, I mean, we all like had some version of ADD except, well, except I, I never got diagnosed or anything, but I'm kind of convinced I have some version of mm-hmm. it. Um, but you know, George and Rayvon, kind of bounced around. Rayvon did go to a private school for a while because he just like had trouble in classrooms, you know? And uh George George was like always in detention, always in trouble, always skipping school and stuff. Cause he just couldn't sit still. He just right. it was boring for him. Um and I got really good grades. I never had to try that hard. And not to be like cocky, but like I just you know, just kind of school came easy. It doesn't mean I was like necessarily smart I don't definitely don't think I'm smarter than my brothers but I just was good at school I was good at tests I was good at like writing essays like those things have always been really easy for me right um, do, do you find that you were better at writing and creative stuff or math and science stuff or both were? definitely writing okay definitely writing yeah like I, I owe my ACT scores to my mom for sure and my dad but you know like she would do things like when we were at dinner she would have like a word of of the day or a word of the, you know, just like quiz us on like, well, where do you think that word comes from? You know, like, Oh, it's Greek. And what does try mean? And like things like that. Like, right. so she was just kind of always trying to get us to think about etymology and words and things not being arbitrary. And, um, yeah. And we just, we read a lot of books. We didn't have a TV. Well, we had a TV, but it was in the basement and <laughs> it was only used for my mom and her boyfriend watching Star Trek. Because <laughs> he was a Trekkie, and I'm a huge Trekkie, right. also, incidentally. Um, but then, you know, 
and we had family dinner nights where you could pick like an activity. This was like once a week. And if it was your turn, you could pick a movie. Um, but like we didn't watch any television. We didn't right. watch any shows. Does, has that like changed that. over the years for you or is that kind oh, of? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm obsessed with TV now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, like you can imagine <laughs> like if you never got to watch it as a kid, like the minute I moved in with my dad in, in high school, it was just like it's all I did. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I feel similar. We were not allowed to watch certain things and the TV. We still would watch certain things like we were allowed to watch like PBS, uh-huh. but now I almost feel like a fly drawn to the light. I'm like, I can't look away. There's something <laughs> on. So I'm looking at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like all of nineties and like early two thousands, like pop culture on television, I have to catch up with like saved by the bell or, you know, Oh yeah. So, like I never, you know, Zach. so for me, it was missing out on the music of that era. Cause okay. it was just, we just listened to Christian music. Yeah. That's, that's so real I different. Had to play a lot of catch up. That's that. That's like, that's such torture for kids that are musically inclined. So parents don't do that. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> I was opposite. I was stuck in front of a TV cause I was, uh, I, I forgot what they call it, but basically my parents both worked Yeah. and my, and I was the youngest and my brothers were also in school, but I was younger. So I got out of school earlier. So You're I was a home. latchkey, latchkey kid? kid. Yeah. <laughs> So I was watching everything I could and listening to anything that I could get into my head. That would be a great band name, wouldn't it? The Latchkey Kids. The Latchkey Kids. Kids. I bet that it exists it's already. Be taken. Yeah, some kind of punk. Or it band. is now because it's on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, somebody's <laughs> taking it right now. So you 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 talked about your dad and you talked you mentioned your brothers briefly uh-huh. and and I'm sure that people ask you this all the time. Uh-huh. But I I want to get an idea of what is it like to have such a musical family like from when you first said i want to write a song yeah it's intimidating as hell like it's just because they're all really good like it'd be one thing if you know one or two of them were good and like there were a couple more that were just like not that great or just kind of you know played a little on the weekends or whatever but like they're all really good right (laughs) like my dad is this incredible songwriter i mean he's one of the best songwriters out there in my humble opinion and uh in a lot of people's and a lot of people's opinions yeah and so is so are my brothers george and ravon like they're both these incredible songwriters ravon has like this kind of literary sense about his lyrics and writing um they just feel like little mini novels or something yeah and then george is just like this i mean the word that everybody always uses is whimsical it's just like but it's like these perfect like beautiful pop melodies and like interesting um how do I put this like like the notes the way that they like compete with each other and then resolve and the way that the rhythms do that and like just kind of like there'll be a melody and then another melody underneath um if you're paying attention and it's just like his stuff is so interesting and intricate right. and like I don't know they're just both really smart and really talented and so and we all do really different things like Ravon's stuff is kind of southern um I guess southern songwriter I don't really know what the right genre is. I guess Americana, maybe. I don't know. Alt country, maybe. And then uh, George's, I, I hear a pop core right. to it. Like, I hear, like, Paul McCartney or something at the core of it. But then it's, it's like, it's got this, like, rock thing. It's got, like, a lot of electronic influences. And um, and you can hear that he's a piano player. Like, you can hear that he thinks that way. Right. And, like, that he's an arranger and kind of has a producer head. Um. And then my dad's stuff is like, 
from that Southern folk world, um, which everybody's calling Americana now. I mean, I don't know what these well, words mean it's anymore. It's so good that you bring that up because I have a question <laughs> for you. Okay. And I had planned on doing this with everyone. And so, Natalie, okay. you'll have to a- answer the question. Oh, great. Is it next. what is Americana music? No. Oh, okay. Because if you know, I, let me know. <laughs> I think it's so funny when, when anyone is, is interviewed, a musician, this question seems to just like baffle everyone's mind. Like it okay. is, it stumps everyone. All right, hit me. What? is your genre oh um yeah no that's the worst um well i mean like i guess like so if the question is like how would you make the most money selling your songs then maybe the answer would be americana right now maybe i don't know maybe it would be all pop it's just it sounds like it's from the south like i grew up in the south i moved to texas it sounds a lot like that too i it's sort of folk in the sense that i'm pretty liberal and Sometimes that leaks in and I'm extremely uncomfortable in audiences that are too conservative. <laughs> like I couldn't, pri- I could not play at a Trump rally. I wouldn't want to, right. and uh, they wouldn't like me, but I'm from that. Alabama and I love country music right. and I grew up around country music and I feel like it's in a way kind of my birthright. And um, I mean, I grew up on a mountain in Alabama. So like that's, that's a country backstory. That's like not, you don't go from that to like a career in R and B like, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I also grew up in Atlanta and I grew up around a lot of R&B and I love that too. And I love, I love that side of the South and I love, you know, the gospel stuff that I grew up listening to. So I don't know. I think much like the South itself, you know, as a contrast to what you might see on CMT, which is this sort of like homogenized whitewashed version of the South. Um, the South is this really rich, diverse, interesting place full of lots of different kinds of people. And I've been influenced by all of that, you know? So yeah. I like that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, it is your turn. What is your musical genre? I mean, that was the hardest thing to figure out because I feel like you have to kind of pitch yourself to people. Right. And what you say is kind of selling yourself, not like in a bad way, but just like, why would someone want to hear you? You know, like if they like this artist or this artist, they're probably going to like you. So you have to like latch on to people that you feel like you're similar to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking with a friend and I let her listen to it. And I, I basically like asked her to help me. And she was like, Oh, it's like Indie Americana. I was like, Oh, cool. I hadn't thought, I know. I was like, I love that. Like, yeah. cool. So I that's what I've kept. That I was the that. right that's way great. to do it is have because, someone else tell you yeah. because it's nobody, nobody, yeah. Answers it like just, oh, it, uh, I'm a jazzer. I mean, let's do jazz, right? Yeah. Or rap. But nobody has an answer because we don't know yeah. where it all came from because your influences are over here and over here and over here and yep. over there. You and know, make like, up what you are and same with you. We yeah. don't want to like box ourselves in either. Right. I think, yeah. well, I feel like that's a theme with artists is that we don't want to just, at least I, I feel like I'm this way. And maybe that's a, and that like, definition of a hipster you don't want to be like everybody else right (laughs) and so like then to create and there's such a push to create something new it's like you kind of have to merge genres anyways yeah and like look for the newest the new edge or whatever to make what you have different or something that stands out so it doesn't sound like everything else right you get lost in the mix right but then at the same time you have to like market it to a specific audience yeah you have to be relatable it has to be something has to be recognizable right but don't you think it's important because like how many times 
have you answered that question when somebody when you when someone finds out that you're a, a musician or a singer songwriter yeah how many times have you been asked I, i've looked so for what like you, different like elevator pitch answers yeah and i've come up with a few like one of them is country that doesn't suck Oh, there you go. Um, one of them is like bra country as opposed to bro country because I yeah. write a lot of feminist country songs. <laughs> but like, I don't really know. I don't have like a clever, who was it that came up with like a Maripolitan or whatever? I haven't heard that one. Oh, well, anyway, yeah. I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I still don't have an answer for myself. Yeah. So that's why I want to ask everybody. I think it would yeah. be an interesting thing to hear. But you, so, um, yes, you or earlier you were talking about your brothers and your dad. Mm-hmm. And this is when I kind of first had the realization of the scope of kind of your background. Yesterday when we were co-writing, our song had a parade theme. <laughs> it, it's weird how we got there, yeah. but, we, but we did get there. And then we kind of from once we kind of focused on that, then it just moved along. Right. But you were talking about your father's song that yeah. talks about a parade. Yeah, the minute I realized we were writing a song about a parade, I was like, okay, well, mental note, my dad has written, like, the best description of a small-town southern, you know, homecoming parade or whatever, ever. And so I don't want to touch that. It's a song called Alabama 1959. So I was like, okay, no chicken wire float, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, there's just, like, certain phrases I was like, can't say that, can't say that, but, you know? So this is why it, was, it caught me, like... All right, I want to talk about this tomorrow when, when we, if, if, well, at that time I didn't know you were doing the podcast, but I wanted to talk to you about it when we were going to schedule. But because you quoted it, yeah, perfectly. <laughs> and, you know, so I heard it without any music. I just heard you sing either a chorus or a verse. It was a verse. But now I want to go out and hear this song. Great. But it, it made me think, wow, this person has, her father is a brilliant songwriter and that's why I wanted to talk about kind of what is it like to, to grow up like that? I can't think of, you know, my dad uh, is not a songwriter. He's yeah. brilliant in other ways, but to have someone to emulate maybe, or sure. look up yeah. to that the songs are so good that you can quote it however many years uh, after it was written. Right. Um, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's interesting cause it's like, well, I mean, I guess in this, and the the simplest answer is, I grew up knowing that my dad was on a stage and people were paying money to hear him play songs that he wrote and sing, and so as a kid, I knew that you could do that. Like, I knew that it wasn't just a thing that, like, you know, Elvis did or something. You know what I mean? Like that it was an attainable thing that someone in my family could do, and that therefore I could do. Mm -hmm. Um. And occasionally I'd be like at the merch table and I'd help out with merch and stuff. And so I sort of knew how that worked. And I just kind of like got a backseat glimpse into like the mechanisms of being a musician. But that said, um, as you know, a very little kid, I rarely was around my dad as a musician. I was only ever around my dad as a dad because he would tour a lot. And when he came home, he just wanted to be a dad. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was in the living room, like writing songs around us. Like he was hanging out with us. And even more so after my parents split up when I was really young, I was like maybe five or six. And like if he, you know, if it's the weekend that he gets us, we're all hanging out. We're going to the dollar store and everybody picks something. And we're, you know, we're going to the pool. Like that's, we're going to the library and renting videos. Um, so it's just like dad kid time. And so I think it, it's almost like he was like this superhero and like 
we only ever saw Clark Kent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew about his alter ego and I knew that that I like, I could see his face on posters and in CDs and stuff. And I knew about this mythical place called Kerrville and I like always right. wanted to go there. And so, but it was, um, I was a little bit like detached from it too. As a kid seeing your dad do this and, but knowing that also this, so this is dad, but it's also, he's also this other guy thing. up on stage right. that other people look up to. Right. Right. Did you ever have any other plans? Did you think at one point, hey, I want to be a doctor? No. Um, I like that's another thing too, is like you were saying, like, what's it like to start writing songs when you grow up around other songwriters? But like I've always written songs. I've never not written songs. And like when I started being able to write, I started writing them down. But I have like notebooks full of songs from my childhood. And specifically songs, not like, because I wrote like poems and short stories mm-hmm. and stuff, but I wrote songs. So like that was just something, <laughs> I don't know. It was just a thing I always did. I guess when I was like in kindergarten, first grade, I wanted to be a musician and an artist because I love to draw and love to draw horses. I drew horses like all the time. And then at some point I just like decided in my kid brain that I had to pick one because people always ask you for an answer and they, they want one answer. It's like, what's your favorite color? They don't want to hear like purple, blue and green and sometimes yellow. Like you're supposed to say a color and so you can change the color, but you have to like pick one. And so like at a certain point I was just like music, you know, but I always wanted to do music. There was never a time that like I wanted to do anything else more. There was like a fateful career day in high school where I decided I could really be a truck driver. And I still think that's interesting. I would be great at that job. I I have thought that as well. Doesn't that just mean (laughs) that you're really good being on tour and driving? Pretty much. Yeah. It's like, it's what I do now, except I would get paid more. Yeah. And I've thought about drive a bigger thing. I actually know a a guy (laughs) I grew up with, the guy that lived right behind me as a child in on Slaughter Lane. Yeah. My best friend, Val, yeah. he ended up moving to uh, some like really small town in Georgia. His his accent went from, I understand him, to I don't know what he just said. <laughs> to Boomhauer. Super, super <laughs> deep south, but he became yeah. a truck driver. But I thought, I've thought about it seriously because yeah. I am kind of a loner. Yeah, same. Um, I do love to do road trips, but then I thought, I could never stay awake for eight hours they have drugs for that oh i know yeah yeah yeah. i just don't have a good meth guy right now no, <laughs> yeah yeah no i was like i remember being a teenager and and the guy was like you know it was like kind of laughing oh, truck driver, you know just being a dumb teenage girl and then he was like well i don't have a boss and my office is the world and like yeah i can stop pee anytime i want right and, you know and i've heard some like cool eat junk food <laughs> like, i've heard like just, that there are some of these truck stops that are really fancy and there's some cool ones they have like you know you pay a certain amount of money and you can like take a a shower in a clean yeah. place and yeah. have a locker room and all that oh, yeah. so i've thought about it i just i don't know if i, I could stay awake but it you never know I, as far as my career, you know, tomorrow I could be in truck driving school for all you know. Um, let's take just one second. I want to do um, the promo for uh, the road procaster. Cool. And then when we come back, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about, including Kerrville, which you mentioned just a second ago. We got to remember. 
This podcast was recorded on the Roadcaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio. Whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, the Roadcaster Pro is all you will ever need. Find out more at road.com slash Roadcaster Pro. All right, we're back. The first thing I want to do, because there's been some research on this and podcasts have have become kind of a big thing. And, and so now there's a lot of research and stats and people don't normally listen for an entire podcast. <laughs> so I think it makes sense to do the promotion before the end. Cool. And I'll, I'll start doing that now, but first things first, the two of you have a show. Yes. Tell us about that. Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> It's Thursday night. Hold on, I'm gonna check my calendar because I got <laughs> got I it wrong. What time it? Yeah, seven thirty to nine. It's Thursday, okay. the eleventh of July, two thousand nineteen. Uh-huh. Cool. At the Townsend in Austin, Austin, Texas. Yes, from seven thirty to nine thirty. Great, and this will come out Monday. So, you guys have three and a half days to <laughs> plan for that show, which Booking I tickets. will be. I will be there. What do you have coming up after that? Well, I've got a show with uh, my band Nobody's Girl next um, Sunday, I think. Sunday the 14th. That's correct. Yeah. And that's um, at the same house concert that you guys saw me at Rawhide Trail. Yes. But I think it's sold out. It is sold out. (laughs) However, we were told that there's a waiting list and people cancel all the time. So you can still put yourself on that waiting list and hope for the best. Cool. Um, and just do a Google search for Rawhide Trail Concerts and you'll be able to get on to their email list and I'll cross my fingers for you that you get to see that show. Yeah. Natalie, what else do you got? You got any, anything else in the immediate future? Uh, not in the next couple of weeks, but... Okay. What, well, about, what about you, Tom? What do you got going on? All right. Well, I am very, 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 very... Well, first, let me say this. I'm very, very for, for both shows. But I've already mentioned the first show last week. I'm playing uh, at the Townsend August 8th uh-huh. with James Jean with a J. Cool. And uh, I'm excited to do that. But now I can announce that I will be playing with Ray Prim in Los Angeles at the Hotel Cafe on Saturday, September 14th. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's my first L.A. performance. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats, dude. So I'm really happy. And I need to get some butts and seats. So if you're listening from California, and now I know that you are because I've seen the statistics from last week's show, (laughs) spread this podcast to your friends and come out and meet Ray Prim and I uh, on Saturday, September 14th. I know that that's a long way away, but I'm so excited about it. I want to talk about it. Every every time it's super exciting. What was that handle that like Ray had at this at the top of the podcast? He like calls Shamrock him Shamrock something. Defibrillator. Something. What's the, what is the? What is the? Did D- I miss D- a D- reference? DJ Khaled. Um, I don't know. He I don't he he has multiple personalities, and we just kind of let him babble. Isn't and uh, the defibrillator, what you use to jumpstart the heart? heart. Yeah. So is he like an Irish heart stopper or heart starter? I don't really know. I don't know. Ray, I, it's some can you some call kind of in and <laughs> yeah. let us know. Yeah, Ray, call into uh, KTOM in Buda. And, Defend uh, yourself. I'll have them patch you through. <laughs> so, okay, you talked about Kerrville. Yeah. And 
you and I are in a a cool little cool club. fraternity. It's true. And uh, you are a Kerrville New Folk winner from yeah. 2011. 11. And it's really cool. Uh, it's a cool thing, I think. But I want to get your take on Kerrville New Folk also winning and what has it done? Well, so I've like ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to go to Kerrville Folk Festival because it. I saw, you know, both of my brothers went and I didn't go when they were little kids. And so there was like pictures on our walls of like both of them in like cowboy hats and stuff. (laughs) And like, I was like, what is this place? My dad's like, oh, it's where all these songwriters are. And they come from all over the country and they'll hang out at campfires. I'm like, I want to go to there, you know? (laughs) So um, when I got the chance to go, I was like 19 and um, I had entered Kerrville and I got into, you know, this, like I was like a runner up. In, in the, so it was like the um, ballad tree thing, which is like a regional runner-up thing. So if you don't make it in, but you, you're a runner-up and you happen to be from Texas, they let you play on an afternoon, like in the hot sun <laughs> on top of a hill. And it's, it's awesome. And, uh, and that was a great like introduction because I really felt like I was somebody. And so I started coming out in the summers and just hanging out at Camp Nashville, um, oh, yeah. which was right next to Camp Nashville. And Camp Nashville was all like the pro songwriters that would come from Nashville and camp there. And Nash Bill was my friend Bill Nash, yeah, <laughs> who would just like, you know, attract unsuspecting, you know, young folk singers in the middle of the night who could like kind of make out what the sign said. Right. <laughs> and then they'd sit down. <laughs> and the next thing they knew, they'd been there for like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, playing songs. So, yeah. But it was the best thing that could have happened to them because it was this really warm, welcoming um, campfire. And yeah. so it was a great place to kind of get my feet wet and like try out these little songs that I had started writing and, and get feedback from people. And because some people knew my dad, like people would actually listen the first time, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, and so I was very fortunate in that. It was just kind of this great incubator. Right. And, um, and so then I kept entering every year and eventually I got in again. And this time I actually got into new folk and, um, that was winning. That was winning. Like was just just, the, the invitation to be one of the 32 to be like a peer, of all these incredible songwriters and get to hang out there for free for a week. And I wrote songs with people. I like networked with people and I just kind of had this epiphany at some point. I want to say it was like while I was on stage in the competition. Um, I just, I looked out at this audience and I just realized like, number one, everybody there is on your side. Um, like everybody wants you to do well, Yes, which is kind of like, it's a theme of the song we wrote yesterday mm-hmm. is like, actually, everybody would be super thrilled if you like went out into the world and kicked ass. Like they want that for you. They want to root for you. And so just kind of feeling that like support, um, you know, kind of freed me up to just be like, okay, I'm going to be this thing that they want me to be. Like I'm going to deliver the thing that they're wanting me to deliver to them. And that's like how I approach performing. Like, Mm -hmm. like it's my job to give them the show that they paid for and be that, be that for them. But then the other thing that I figured out was that everybody else there at Kerrville, we weren't competing against each other because we all were that thing. Like we all were really different and doing totally different things. And at that point, like if you get in, you're good. Like you're a good songwriter at that point. So like there's nothing else that you need to prove. It's all about just like realizing that 
you and all the other people there are peers. And these are probably going to be people that you play shows with, that you stay at their houses, that you like do laundry at their place, you know, that's that something you know that I try to your kids hang out at some yeah. point. Like, like you're going to know them for 30, 40 years. That is and, something that I try to explain to people that have gotten in to the top 32. Yeah. And it's hard to tell them. It's hard to tell because them. it's cliche to say, just getting here, you're a winner. But it right. is but really the truth true. because it does affect if you want it to. Right. It can lead to, like you said, playing shows with people in different states because these people yeah. come from all over. Well, my sold out show next week is with um, two ladies that I met at Kerrville. Right. Rebecca Lobby and Betty Sue. And like we all were Kerrville winners and we all hung out at Kerrville and that's how we know each other. And then Megan Burt was in my year at Kerrville and we've written like a ton of songs together two of the songs on that record that we just played, we co-wrote together. So, you know, it's just, I think it's like, you have to, you have to, you have to change the way that your brain is thinking about it and like not think about it as this competition that you're yeah, in, it, in it life, is, you know? It's funny how what you described was kind of the same thing that I went through as, and you know, I was really brand new and not accustomed to playing in front of that many people. Mm-hmm. But I was amazed at the fact that I was not terrified. Right. I, you know, I, as I had mentioned last week with Natalie, I, I usually have a, about a song of nerves and that no matter where I'm at. Um, but I don't even recall being nervous for the first song because you get to play two songs. But I, 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 now I realize I need to do an entire show Episode. about Kerrville New Folk. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, because I think it's so important for people to enter. I get it. Um, you know, you're being judged on songs, which is really hard to it's do. It's hard, yeah. And it's a matter of catching the right person at the right moment with the right song. And it's kind of the luck of the draw because there's a lot of great songwriters yeah, out there. Yeah, it's very much subjective. Yeah. And like having, you know, I know some people, a lot of people that have judged it and like just kind of, that whole process, it's so, it's almost like arbitrary. Like it just, you know, who, who the judges are that year, you know, what songs you have on stage that year, like how you're, how you present it. Like, right. so just so many things are just, you know, I, out it's of your so control. It's so important though you know? that, that people, even if they didn't get in year one or year two to continue to submit, if yeah. this is what you love to do. Right. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've been like, you should enter Kerrville. And they're like, oh, I tried that once. And I was like, what happened? They're like, I didn't get in. And I was like, well, why didn't you keep, you keep trying? Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an actor or actress. They have a million, uh, a million uh, auditions, auditions yeah. you know, and, you know, one day they get the one and that's the one, you know. Right. So I, I will do a whole show and maybe you can we're, come we're back like for that We're like talking one. about it like it's like this big, fancy, like, you know, intimidating event. And it's, it's, it's just a fun party out in the hill country. Yeah, like it's, it it's, is. But, you know, to us songwriters, it, it matters and it's like almost like the spiritual well, it's not like you know, the, but it's not like it's not like know. a Grammy or anything no, like that. But no. what it is is something that can change your life in that you will meet a lot of other people like you, right? All in one place. Yep. That are going through the same trials and tribulations and pain and rejection. Yeah. And uh, you bond. And if you're a crazy person and like to camp mm-hmm. in the heat and the rain, mm-hmm. like I am not. But the tequila uh, helps. That, yeah. 
And this is like one of the only times of the year that I really drink. Like yeah. um, on uh, the Sunday after the uh, the announcement, uh-huh. um, they do the uh, what is it? Uh, Team Seven or or oh Club Seven Club Seven, and yeah. they all play cover songs. Yeah, I have been known to go there and and cross the line. Yeah. And I don't, they had to dial that back a little bit. Cause they, they definitely want, they want to be sensitive to folks that are like in recovery and oh, stuff. Yeah. Like, but they used to, there used to be a tequila fairy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I have been known to have a little too much fun there yeah. that night as well. But it, so. it is something that I hope that, cause I had my idea of what Kerrville was right. and it was not what I thought it was. Right. And it kept me from ever even looking that direction. Anyway, I'll have a, a whole, um, I'll have a whole a whole episode on that, and maybe you can so come fun. back. You should like try and see if you can get Dallas to come out. And that would be really that would be cool. So cool. Yeah. So you know what I want to do, and I, I still want to talk more about. Well, first, let me say this: I really wanted to focus on your co-writing. Okay. Because it is a a skill that I don't have. A lot of people. Don't well, I beg have to differ. Well, I mean, of yesterday's well, song. I'm, I was so happy the way that turned out. But I mean, um, for a lot of people, it's it's a way of life, especially our 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 mutual Nashville friends. You know, they meet every week. Somebody's at, at 10 a.m. They're meeting all over town and, and that's what they do. They co-write, co-write, co-write. And they know that a lot of people have kind of these um nashville uh area rules to co-writing yeah. but then i also understand that a lot of songwriters say well you don't need to just know that way to do it there's all kinds of ways to co-write mm-hmm. and you are famous for co-writing i'm about famous well i'm obscure there are two there are three people in this <laughs> with room with a specialty in co-writing <laughs> there are three people in this room and two of them have co-written songs with you that's so. true and you've co-written some songs like with uh, James House, who's a guy that I met a few years ago and yeah. kind of look up to that guy. And, He's incredible. Yeah. He's so great. Um, yeah. So let's, I want you to play a song, but first let's talk about co-writing. Okay. We talked a lot about it yesterday and I wish that I had the mics going, but I want to focus on maybe techniques or talk about the mm-hmm. fact that there are, I mean, the way in which you will sit down and, you know, okay, Tom and yeah. I are going to co-write. Right. Okay. So the minute you walk in. Yeah. So, okay. Well, even that's different because, you know, if I'm writing a song with Tom, I already know Tom a little bit, you know, like we've, we've talked about, you know, God and the universe and a couple of times, like we've played a few shows together. So like there's already like a starting point of connections and things that we kind of are kindred spirits about and like, points of connection you know and points of contention and like and the interesting things around those points and so like you know we can just go ahead and get started like we can just jump in and like what have I got what do you have like what's in your notebook what's in my notebook what are your audio scraps on your phone you know what's a little thing you've been messing around with on the guitar or oh I've always wanted to write a bossa song or just whatever Mm -hmm. like you know we can come into it with with a scrap and a diving board um, and get started. But then like, I've, I've been in co-writes before where I set them up because like, I knew this person was cool and I wanted to write with them because I admired their music, but I had never really hung out with them. Like maybe I played one show with them or something. Right. And so then in that case we get coffee, you know, 
and we just hang out for like an hour or two and get to know each other, which is what I did with Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you could weigh in on that. Yeah. Well, we went to dinner. Yeah. I went to dinner. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, we should write a song. We should probably get to work <laughs> now. Yeah. But it's like, you have to do that because I mean, at least I feel like I like to do that because I like to write as a human being with other human beings. I don't want to go in as like a machine, a song making machine churning out a thing with another song making machine. Mm -hmm. Like I want to go in as a human being, talk to another human being, find something that we both get jazzed about writing about. And, um, which is what happened with Natalie. She had this like great idea for a song called it's okay to get older. And, um, just sort of talking about aging and being a woman and in the world. And, uh, so that was like, okay, yeah, I can get into that, you know? Um, I actually played that one on the last podcast. Did you? It's like passing the baton. That's so cool. (laughs) That is so cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but so, so that's like, that's how you get started. And in Nashville, they, sometimes they don't do that. Like there are guys whose job it is to wake up, go into a room, write a song with two or three strangers and then, and do it in like an hour or two and then go to another room and do it again. And I admire the hell out of those guys. Like those guys are like monster athletes of songwriting, but, Mm -hmm. but I don't want that job. That's just not the kind of songwriting that I do. Um, I could do it. I just don't want to. Um, so I think, but for, but I also like to write a lot of songs and I I do want to write them quickly and with lots of different kinds of people. So it's some kind of balance of like, you know, proficiency, but also like something real and what's the word integrity, something that has integrity. That's where Jimmy Webb uses in a book called Toonsmith, which is the songwriting Bible. So if your listeners out there have not read Toonsmith, you should go pick up a copy. I'll put a link to that yeah. in the description. Yeah, it's a Jimmy Webb book, and he talks about um, a song needs to have integrity in both senses. Like, it needs to structurally hold up and be held together with integrity. And then it also needs to be about something real and, like, move people in a real way. And I think that, that that's a good kind of reference point. For me, in terms of how to write a song, there's no wrong way to write a song. I really, I really think that like all roads are the right roads if they lead to a great song. Like whatever you're doing, if it helps you write songs, do that thing. And if somebody else is like, no, this is the only way to write songs, don't listen to that person. Because <laughs> right. there's lots of ways to write a song. There's another great book called A uh, Thousand One Songwriting Ideas by Lisa Ashman, who you've probably met at Kerrville because she hangs out there all the time. And that's a great one for like, if you're stuck on the, like, how do I write a song today? You can just open up that book and it'll just be like really practical um, prompts and things like sometimes a content prompt as in like write a song about being an orphan or something. But other times it'll be like a, you know, a technique prompt, like retune your guitar and then play a chord, play this, play a C chord and see what happens, you know, or something like that. Like it'll just be sort of like ideas like that. And, um, that can work. Yeah. You know, I've written songs that way. There's a song I wrote with Megan Burt because we just tried out a weird guitar tuning. So yeah, I don't think there's like a right or wrong way. I do have little tricks that I use that are like little cheats for me. And I'll share one that I stole from my friend, Emily Haber in Nashville. But you just, if you have something that you want to write about, let's say you started a song and you know, the song is about like nostalgia or something. Then you just search for like quotes about nostalgia or quotes about thinking about the past or quotes about, not letting go or whatever. And then you do a Google image search and the quotes, you know, the fancy font quotes or whatever. We used this yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can just kind of like, you can oftentimes 
it's just a way of sort of like, you know, when you free write and you're kind of writing around a concept and you can get lots of different angles about the same idea. It helps with that. But it also like sometimes like some quote will suggest like a hook or something will jump out to you. Um, there's a song I wrote with Emily Haber called Happy Place that we found that way because we had done, you know, a Google image search for like home or something like that. And we got a quote that said like, this is my happy place. And we're like, that's it. That's, that's the hook. So yeah, that can just be like a really easy way to cheat. <laughs> well, one thing that I noticed yesterday is that you had those types of kind of techniques in a toolbox, right? Yeah. And when we talked about this, uh, we played at Threadgills last year at some point, and mm-hmm. we talked about this when we were having our little meal before the show. Yeah. And you were you showed me like these quotes that you yeah. pulled up. So I know that that is a technique that is in your toolbox. But for someone like me who has not done a lot of co-writing, I was intimidated. Excuse me, <laughs> I was intimidated a little bit. Um, but it you kind of took the lead, like, and we were talking about how uh, when I wrote a song with Ali Tadros, it was like when you're dancing and one person kind of takes the lead. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and it made one, it made me m- much more comfortable, but two, it just seemed like with these tools that you were using and introducing to me, mm-hmm. um, it opened up a little bit of a, kind of a new world for me. So I think it might be important for those people that like myself who have not co-written a whole lot. One, these references that you're using these books um Mm. are are cool but also if you happen to have someone in your life that i i'm lucky to know you but if you listener happen to know somebody that has done some co-writing let them take the lead you know and then eventually it becomes natural i would assume but i mean you're so well known for co-writing with so many people and i mean just I being that's at that's true but well i think it is and I, I mean just being at shows um i've i've been a person who's seen you play and i've also been a person who's been next to you as you play on the stage and your introductions you know you might have half the show i co-wrote this with so-and-so or yeah. and then the other one is this is of a story of when i so i know that you wrote this song mm-hmm. and i've always had this weird thought that when you co-write a song it becomes less personal but you have proven me wrong with that time and time again i'm so glad um so but again i i can't tell you how happy i am that we did that yesterday me too it's a good song what you know another thing i want to get to and this is important because i don't even have a full understanding of this but you recently signed a publishing deal. I don't even have a full understanding of it, but yes, that did happen to me a few months ago. And congratulations. Thank you. Um, Thanks, friends. I think it's really an important thing to explain, especially for people who love music and are looking for or want to know like all the different avenues that you can take it. Yeah. So you are a solo artist. Correct. You are in a band. I'm in two bands. You're in two bands. <laughs> <laughs> and now you are a professional uh, songwriter in that you have a publishing deal. I suppose so. Um, if that's the definition, then yes. Well, could you tell us, and you don't have to tell us the specifics of your deal, but tell us a little bit about what that means. Sure. Yeah. So I have a really limited understanding because it's a very new world for me. 
I just signed this thing like a couple months ago and uh, growing up when I would ask my dad about different kinds of deals and like how to make money in the music business, he would always laugh, but then he would be like, okay, so a record deal works this way. You know, you probably won't get one. If you do, it'll probably be this kind of thing and you'll get it at this point. Like a management contract is this, like this is what a booking agent does. And then when he'd bring up publishing, he would say something like, well, publishing deals are the best and they're amazing and you'll probably never get one because they don't really exist anymore. And like, and you know, even more than label deals don't exist anymore. Publishing deals just, they're hard to come by. So that's kind of what I thought. And, be, and part of that is that my dad had a publishing deal like during the Garth years, like the big boom of like record sales in Nashville when they just music row was this like behemoth thing. And, you know, he made a good living for a while there. Um, he had a Garth hit, you know, and mm. so like that bought him a house and, wow. um, those days are really gone. I mean, it's, it's a different industry now, but that doesn't mean that there isn't work for songwriters or that there isn't money to be made for songwriters. And that's what I'm kind of learning and, and dipping my toes into. Um, but basically like the definition of a songwriting deal, it's like a publishing deal is basically a book deal for a songwriter. So it's like in the same way that, you know, a publishing house for an author will like kind of pay them in advance sometimes, or sometimes that there's not an advance, like the money part differs. Um, and then they're kind of committed to writing a certain number of books for that publisher. And then the publisher agrees to put out those books, which is like pay the hard cost of like manufacturing the books, promoting the books, getting the books out there. And so it's, it's sort of similar to that. It's like, um, although I guess that sounds a little more like a label deal and a record deal, but, um, but it's similar in, in the advanced part that it's basically a living that allows you to write. And, um, there's different, there's different ways of making that living, you know, um, some songwriters write for television and film, like some write to be covered, um, by other artists, like in Nashville, that's still a big part of that world. I think syncing and licensing apparently is a big part of it nowadays. Mm -hmm. Basically, like I have a, I have a catalog of songs you know, it's relatively hefty for my age. I guess it's like a couple hundred songs. And I cataloged them and submitted them as like an addendum to my contract, you know, and like, and um, I submit all my songs to to them and like the ones that I think are really great. I maybe ask them to pay attention to a little more. Um, that part is a little different for me too, um, just because I have sort of a unique deal. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's co-pub deals, which are like where you have part of the publishing and then the uh, publishing company is the other part. So, or licenses the other part. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's like the pizza thing where you think about a pizza. And I think about pizza. I think about pizza all the time. All the time. Yeah. So a song is like a delicious <laughs> pizza. And half of that pizza, if you, get, if you go halvesies with somebody and you get pepperoni on one side and cheese on the other, pepperoni side is your copyright the cheese side is your publishing. And from the minute that you write a song, you own both halves of those pizza. Of mm -hmm. that pizza. Um, there, you can't sell off the copyright part um, because there's laws against that, which are good, good laws, because back in the day, musicians used to just like sell their songs for, for literally a pizza or right. whatever, you know? Right. And um, you can't do that anymore. Um, but the publishing half, you can sell, you can license, you can kind of parse out however you want. Um, when you write a song with someone else, the Nashville rules are anybody that's in the room has a piece. So 
if like me and Tom were writing a song right now and Natalie was just like here in the room, it would be technically a three-way co-write. Um, those are, those are the technical rules. Although most songwriters, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an understood thing that like you should actually contribute something. Right, right. But you know, if she threw out one or two words, you know, that's a third, that's a third of the song. Um, so that's really important to know. Like if you're in a band situation and it's you and one other person in the band writing most of the songs, but there's like a third or fourth member in the room kind of maybe noodling on a lick or like throwing out a word or two, they, they have a piece of that song. And, right. they, and so that's just a good thing to know. Um, and a lot of times bands do that on purpose to make it like sort of more fair. But um, anyway, so like that's how that works. And so then, you know, this half of a pizza is all of a sudden split in half. So then you just have a quarter of the pizza because, you know, Tom has the other quarter of the pizza. And then like, let's say you have a publishing deal where your publisher license licenses like 50% of of the money there or whatever they get it from their fees or whatever so like then all of a sudden you're just making an eighth of the pizza mm-hmm. on publishing um the trade-off there is that a publisher is going to pitch the song right and get it heard by people who can actually put it in a place where it'll make money so that is kind of the main thing right that right. are they telling you okay you need to have this many songs submitted to us. And, and by the way, I'm not a do. lawyer and apologies to my, my lawyer friend, Steve Easley, who helped me negotiate my deal. <laughs> Cause I'm sure I like butchered that, but that's, <laughs> that's the gist. Anyway, there's a book called everything you need to know about the music business by Donald Passman. Right. If you read that, you'll actually understand how this works. But so, Go ahead. Like so three inches thick, though. yeah, it's very, it's very big. <laughs> I've seen that. But you yeah. can just read the section on publishing. So, the main idea, though, is that you are required, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. to write a certain amount of songs. Correct. And then when you submit those songs, mm-hmm. the the goal is mm-hmm. that the publishing company is going to... Can actually use them. Use them right. f- for other people to... Other artists to Possibly, sing or, or be in a movie. Or okay. whatever, yeah. That's very Or maybe very in a commercial. Or, yeah. or maybe they'll take your song and they'll like take out the vocal and just use the instrumental part right. or something. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways you can do it. And also, it's not just that you have to submit so many songs. You have to submit so many good songs mm. that they, like, approve of and pass right. and, like, pass off mm-hmm. on. So, or sign off on, I mean. Because um, maybe you write, like, a 10-minute, you know, <laughs> instrumental piece about your hamster. And, like, they're <laughs> like, you know, we can't use this for right. anything. It's super weird now right. or whatever. So, that doesn't count. Like, you have to, like, it has to be something that they can use. Mm-hmm. Um Although, I don't know, maybe that'd make a great soundtrack for it somebody. Might, uh, do you have to be, um, or do they require you to be anywhere or can you do all of this from home or the road? Well, that was my first question. I was, cause I got the minute I signed that thing, I got like a million text messages from all my friends that were like, when are you moving to Nashville? Yeah. Like that was just like, everybody was asking me that. And I, I thought, Oh shit, am I supposed to move to Nashville? Like, do I have to do that? Because BMG has offices in New York and LA and Nashville and they don't have one in Austin. And so I thought, you know, can I be like a serious songwriter here? Is that a thing? Um, of course there are so many serious songwriters yeah. here and so many great songwriters in this town. So, um, but I went and I met with, with somebody in Nashville and at, at BMG and his answer was basically like when Nashville is taking up so much of your time that you need to be here all the time. That's when you should move. Yeah. But he was like, you know, there, there are songwriters here. I, I'm happy to set you up on these co-writes and stuff. And he was like, but also, you know, if, if Austin is working for you, if you're, if you're getting a lot of opportunities out of being there, 
you know, maybe pay attention to that too. And like, mm-hmm. so there's no one fits all answer. It's like, it's just a matter of like where you're able to find the most opportunities. Some of those opportunities are opportunities that they will help you find, um, whether it's conferences or retreats or other writers or whatever, or, or placement opportunities. But a lot of it too is just you on your own, which is right. another thing I didn't know, you know, kind of much like, like you think when you get a booking agent that you're done thinking about routing and gigs and stuff. And like, that's not true. Like, you, you know, once you get a booking agent, you're just on the phone with your agent all the time talking about those things. Um, when you get a man, you think that when you get a manager, you're done thinking about the business, right. <laughs> you can just focus on making music. And that's such a lie. Like, you know, the minute you get a manager, you're just calling a manager on the phone and talking about business and talking about your business goals and stuff. And so sort of in the same way, like, for at least in my limited couple months experience, like, you know, it's still up to me in a lot of ways to like find and exploit those opportunities for myself and to like take advantage of being able to say, I'm a BMG writer to help open doors for myself and like be assertive, go out there and meet those writers that you want to write with, give them a list of the writers you want to write with, that kind of stuff. So, um, it, it's still like, you still are out there having to hustle, right. you know, it's not like you're done like all you have to do is, oh, I just get to write now. It's like, well, also, you know, I'm trying to be in Nashville or LA or New York as like once a month or every other month if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to set up as many co-writes as possible, which is part of, you know, wrote with you yesterday. Cause I'm like, I want to be, if, if I'm home in Austin, I want to take advantage of that time and do some writing. So, yeah. Well, I, you know, we're talking about all this writing. Yeah co-writing and uh we talked about the the cool experience that Kerrville is yeah and there's so many different facets of grace pettis that we could probably be here for hours and hours many of um, them not that interesting uh, i don't know about that <laughs> you're pretty interesting <laughs> well thanks what i would love to ask you to do is play a song for us sure and i I'm just really thankful that you came here and hung out with us because I know how busy you are. And yeah. so it, it means a lot to me that I can share your stories and your knowledge with other songwriters. So, Well, that is just so sweet. I'm honored to be invited and uh, to join the likes of Natalie Price in the, uh, the, the annals of the yeah the podcast yeah Yeah. and people are are really digging it so i'm happy that you're here because um i got a lot of feedback about natalie's episode and i can kind of see where people are listening from and anyway um go ahead and grab your guitar and you can start getting tuned up i'm going to set this mic up cool i have no uh, idea what i'm going to play for the record well it's all good (laughs) all right do i need to introduce the song or say a title Uh, or if you want to talk about it. I would just like to say that my co-writer is uh, Gary Nicholson on this one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called When Nobody's Watching.
one life doesn't matter Can anybody say Is there a way to do it right Do we live for tomorrow Or just make it through the night When do we surrender When do we fight Quiet of the day, and who you wanna be when nobody's watching? Cause it's hard to see clear through the fear in our hearts. Isn't it how we live in spite of it that shows us who we are? Choices that we make Stumbling in the dark For the light switch When nobody's listening What do you want to say? What thoughts are you thinking In the quiet of the day? And who you when nobody's watching Thank you so much for that. So uh, before we go, Natalie, you had a question that I think is an important question. And let's let Grace kind of get back in front of that mic. Okay. All right. Do I need to ask it? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> or just let the listener <laughs> guess. Put them in first. <laughs> well, some of my questions that I was curious about for Grace, most of them had to do with co-writing. And she kind of delved into some of the tips that she goes to. But I was curious about, like, what happens when co-writing doesn't go so well? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the two of you are, like, five hours in, not yeah. much to show for yourselves. Yeah. Or you, know, you feel like we, you're really fighting for it. You and yeah. I have, have tried to co-write 
a couple times and we had some good ideas, but it just, and it may, and a lot of it may have had to do with my, um, well, reluctance to open up my brain or, or fear of failure of exactly what you're talking about, actually. But. Some, I think it happens in multiple ways. Sometimes it's to people maybe that aren't compatible. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like where both people are that day, mm-hmm. but just like, yeah. Or if one person's just like, has no energy or whatever. I don't know. But yeah. you're, fi- you're like maybe five hours in and you're like, wow, we both wanted a song. Yeah. It's getting dark. Yeah. <laughs> or it's, we- it's super awkward, but this is like a perfect sex metaphor. <laughs> cool. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes you're just not feeling it. And, um, or sometimes you have a headache or like, sometimes you're just not compatible. Like you, you just, you, you want to write a song with that person. You want it to be great. You both want it to be great. You both respect each other, like each other a lot. But it's just like, you know, it's like a one night stand. It works or it doesn't. And it, you know, it's unpredictable sometimes. Um, so I think like, I think a healthy thing to do is to go in just with no expectations and just like kind of get on that same page, you know, from the get go and just be like, we're just going to hang out for a couple hours and get to know each other. And if a song happens, awesome. And if it doesn't like we made a new friend and that's great. Um, so I think like just kind of going in there with healthy expectations is, is important. And if it's just not working, you know, you have a couple options. You can kind of like slog through it and like try to like make it work. And sometimes that's worth it. Sometimes there have been experiences that I've had where like, I'm really glad I just stuck with it and like, and just like really forced it to be finished because like, you know, then I got a song out of it and whether it's a song I want to play or not, you know, we finished something and that's good. And also I've had experiences like that last song I wrote with Gary. Um, Gary, by the way, is just like this legendary, incredible songwriter that I was so intimidated to have the opportunity to write with. And it took us a couple songs to get that song. And we, you know, we wrote a few songs that are like, I mean, they're fine. They're good. I mean, nothing that he writes isn't good. You know (laughs) what I mean? But they're just not, that one's a keeper, you know? And it's just like we were talking about earlier and it, it, and we both think so, which is important to me. Um, And so like, but it was worth kind of like, I know we have a great song that we haven't co-written yet. Like I know it's there. And if we just kind of, if I keep showing up at your house and like and getting you to tell me stories like eventually we're going to write something great together and so and we did you know I think so I don't know it's it's hard to say but you just got to kind of trust your instincts on it sometimes the right thing to do is just call it and I I, it's kind of rare that I don't finish a song anymore um but it does still happen every now and then and even though sometimes I finish ones that I just like okay I'll never play that you know but you finished it and great you know sometimes that's like enough it's just like the sense of like we committed to this thing and we did it together and um so I don't know I think it's and I think that's okay and it doesn't mean that like you don't like their music or get them or that you know that they don't feel that way about you but just like sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um do you feel like it's kind of um amongst the mm co-writing community Mm -hmm. that it is that, that, that most people kind of have the same feeling about that, that, Hey, sometimes it just doesn't happen and and it's all good. We'll try another time. Well, I will say like, for the most part, I feel like that's true. Um, but <laughs> there have been like a handful of times that like I wrote something, I was like, I don't really, I like it. That song's not that good. And then the other person in, in the right 
thinks it's amazing. You oh, know, like that yeah. happens sometimes. It's super awkward. You're like, oh, really? You're putting <laughs> that one on your record? Great. <laughs> you know, that's so great. Um, or or vice versa. Like where I really love it and I'll play it out and stuff. And the other person's like, Meh. Uh, you know. Yeah. So. But in a way, that's kind of nice because then it's like if only one of you really loves it, then it's like, cool, you can have it, you know, go do something with it. Um, and sometimes just them playing it out makes it cool in a way that you couldn't have made it cool. So, you know, that's fine when that happens. Um, yeah. Do you have any like rescue tips? If you're like, because I feel tips, like yeah. the hard thing is I've, I haven't co-written as much as you for sure, but there have been times where I'm like, I just can't decide if this is like, we've put in a lot of effort today mm-hmm. and I feel like we're either on the brink of something mm-hmm. we've gotten, we've kind of hobbled together a couple of things mm-hmm. or we need to call it. And I just can't tell sometimes. And so yeah. I don't want to be someone that gives up, but I'm like, right. is there, I don't know, any like emergency tips? Well, I think the right answer is usually to keep trying. Um, and if you get to a point in the song where you just feel stuck with each other and you're just like, you feel blocked or something, um, just try to like, think your way out of it. Like maybe try a new different groove that you hadn't thought of with the same melody or, or just be like, what if we switch these things around and made the first chorus or like, what if we blew this up? And I know we love this line, but what if we just ditched it and tried to find a new line so we can rhyme this thing, you know? So I think it's just like, you know, sometimes you get to a point and it's just really frustrating and you feel like you're stuck and you, and the instinct is to just give up. And so a lot of times that's the point where you need to just push a little harder and just kind of encourage the other person to keep going because they need that encouragement to keep going. Just be like, no, 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 we're going to get this. Right. You're a great writer. We're like, we're going to find this, you know, and just kind of sticking with it. Um, most of the time that's the answer. But if you've had like a lot of those happen in a write and you're just like, I, I just, this just isn't working. Or like the other person just keeps insisting on ideas that you just can't get behind. You know what I mean? And they won't, they're not open to like rethinking it. And and you know that that's like a terrible line that you don't want to put your name to. Um, that's a good time to call it, you know. And that, that happens every now and then. Not that often, but it does happen. Um, or sometimes you just start writing something and both of you are like for the sake of the other person trying so hard to keep at it and like, and say yes, 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 like an improv and like, okay, let's just make this work. And then like you've spent like three hours on it and then you realize like that neither of you likes it. And like neither of you ever really liked the idea. Like you were just being nice for the sake of the other person. Like that happens. Wow. And then that it's just like funny. Crazy, it, <laughs> it's just funny. It's just like, oh, ha ha, you know, and then you right. just move on with your life. But the thing is like that time is never wasted. Um, even the songs that like don't work out or the ones that are like super shitty. It's all like worth doing because it all fertilizes like the next thing. And it all is just exercising that muscle and getting you to think outside the box and keeping you writing. I think it's, it's always a win if you wrote something, you know, like that's always a win. And, um, so I don't like, think, like we talked about yeah, in last week exactly. with the, um, songwriting prompt groups. It's like, yes. you, you know, that you're, you have to know that you're not going to write, um, 15 really great songs in a row. You right. have to expect that you're going to write 14 bad songs and one keeper maybe. Right. And, and so that's kind of a very similar thing that we talked about last week. Yeah. And the more that you write, the better your averages get, you know, that mu- so, those muscles become yes, a little more defined. You and, just get there a little quicker every yeah. time, you know? So it's just like, it's, it's worth doing for that reason. Like, you know, Oh, I tried writing a blues song before and last time this is what happened. And so it's like, you don't think about it like that, but it's just subconscious. And then you, you sort of, you build on that knowledge every time you write a song. 
Well, I think we should end on that great uh, mm. bit of advice for songwriters. Grace Pettis, tell us how we can find you. Mm. Well, I'm very findable these days, thanks to the internet and nobody has privacy anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just go to my website, www.gracepettis.com. And uh, there's all my gigs. If you're a crazy stalker, you could probably show up and stalk me. Um, or you could just come out and hear one of my shows. That'd be nice. That'd be probably the that'd, preferred thing. That'd be thing. preferable. Yeah. And um, maybe buy a CD if or If you wanted to album. give me money, that would be the best. Um, <laughs> I like money. I like all forms of money. Right. I'm also on Instagram at Grace Pettis, P-E-T-T-I-S. Rhymes with lettuce, spelled differently. Um, I'm on Facebook as well and Twitter and most of the things. Um most of them. So I'm not on Snapchat because I'm not. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Natalie, as discussed last week, most things, natpricemusic.com. Yep, that's right. For those of you listening, I would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or Spotify, any others that you can think of because they're on, it's on all of them. Podbean. Podbean. That's a good one. That's my favorite. I don't know about that one. Yeah, that's my host, and they also have a great app. But if you would subscribe, it would do me, uh, it would be a big favor to me. So please do that. If you have any questions, you can always email singersongwriterpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next week. I'll put an orchestra in your head. Every time you go to bed Let that sweet, sweet melodies Blow your scary memory away KTOM, Buda.